Welcome. Thank you once again for hanging out with us. This is the one and only IT in the D show episode 445. I'm your host, Bob Waltonspiel, hanging out co-host, producer extraordinaire, Randy Walker. Guest this week, we are lucky to be hanging out with the CEO of Verge.io, Jan Ness, serial entrepreneur, Michigan lover. Should be a great conversation revolving uh, building up a startup, selling it, and then doing it all over again. So can't wait to uh, dive in. Uh, Meetup.com slash IT in the D. The meetup, if you're listening to us on drop night, it's going to be the 15th of September. We're got a new location. We're at 54 West, which is the patio of Mojave in Clawson, Michigan, hanging out with a bunch of IT nerds. Uh, no speakers, no cover, just, just a bunch of us. Bring business cards or don't, just hang out. Uh, always a good time. Never, uh, no pressure sales. So can't wait to, uh, can't wait to see you all. So Jan, good to see you. It's been a while. How you been, sir? I've been great, Bob. Good to see you too. Thanks for having me. So I got, I got it. The first thing I thought of this afternoon when I was driving, I said how I wanted to kick this thing off is there used to be this video from CRN magazine, right? And uh, it was a bunch of little, you know, eight and 10 year old kids going, when I grow up, when I grow up and it was all like these IT cliches. And one of them was, I want to build up a startup and sell it to Cisco and then do it all over again. I'm like, that's, that's Jan. You, uh, you know, built up online tech up in Ann Arbor, had a, had a, pretty strong exit and uh now you went decided to do it all over again and you jump back in with verge.io i guess talk to me about not just on the entrepreneurship but the exit and and i guess the starting up again we could probably do a three-day story on that but just uh you know just to get the story out on on kind of how you went you know that way and then started back up again yeah, so serial entrepreneur um online tech was an opportunity for me to get really really familiar with what it took to sell and deliver IT services, and also, quite honestly, like the power of culture and a whole bunch of other stuff, right? Um, and um, it was uh, it was an incredible run. We bought this small dial-up ISP company. I think it was five and four or five employees, and sold off the ISP, and then went through the 0708 period. And and I always believed that. Um, you, you can always do well. You just have to decide whether things are for sale or for, 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 for purchase. And in 08, 09, things were, you wanted to buy things. And so we hooked up with some corporations here in Michigan and got access to their data centers at pennies on the dollar because uh, real estate was in a tough spot and so were those companies. And, um, you know, out of that, we, we, we you know, in a very entrepreneurial way, without raising, raising any professional capital, we built up basically uh, the first HIPAA compliant and PCI compliant uh, cloud uh, and hosting and co-location provider here in the Midwest and drove it like crazy. Growth, 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 growth is, is, is how you make these things successful and end up uh, seven or eight years later, had a great exit. That was the start. So typically, you know, person in your shoes, you're going to, you're going to retire, you're going to buy a nice little boat and you're going to go fishing and you're going to hang out, but you decided to jump in again. Did you, uh, you just got the bug, right? Is that what it is or what did, uh, what drove you back in? Yeah. So I made two mistakes. Number one, I never thought about what was going to happen next. I did. I just loved growing, growing the company. And when, when we decided we were going to put up for market, uh, up, up to market for, for sale, um, which was a pretty conscious decision about a year in advance before we did. Um, I had I had two choices. One was um, spend a lot of time thinking about what's next, so I was really really ready for it. And I had some people telling me I should do that. 
But I, but, but my heart and soul, honestly, Bob told me, you got to run through the tape. Two reasons. It might not sell, in which case you're still running the company. And don't build a company you don't always want to sell because every day you don't sell it, you own it. And you don't want to own a piece of junk. You want to own a nice, high-quality company. And, and so we, we worked hard to make that happen. And so the mistake I kind of made, but to the, my benefit in the end, was, you know, really spent a lot of time, six months when we were shopping the business and when we closed, doing everything I could to make sure the company was in the best financial and operational and cultural shape I possibly could. Um, and, and, I spent, I, and I decided I'm not going to spend one minute thinking about what's next. And so when we sold the business, the, the new buyers didn't, didn't need me. And so what was next was nothing because I didn't plan for it. I don't golf. I don't hunt. I don't fish. I don't do landscaping. I don't do woodwork. I do sailboats. So I did buy a nice big sailboat, but but for the most part, honestly, I, you know, I kind of I kind of I spent six months, nine months, you know, traveling, doing all the stuff that you didn't do while you're working eighty hours a week for ten years. Um, but but then I got really bored. I'm, I'm not good at filling my time, and you know, the wife and I started arguing over the remote and just stupid stuff. You know, where we're going to go next weekend, and and I, I literally, Bob, I went to bed a couple nights, and I was like, you know, what am I? What's life all about? What am I doing here? You know, what am I? What's going on here? And and so um, I don't, I'm not sure whether it was, you know, sort of an escape or a, hey, I, oh, okay, I give up. I don't know how to do anything else. I'm going to go back to it. But I, I ran into this company called Yodabyte, fell in love with the software and said, this could change the world more than any other company I've ever been a part of. That's all I know how to do is try to build early stage tech companies. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. So I jumped back in and um, I'm thrilled. So it was kind of like uh, it's, it's. I don't want to say it's a similar jer- journey, but the, just the one story that resonated was, you know, I got into IT management, no sales for the first time in my career. Because so I'm like, yeah. I've been selling for 23 years now, um, and, and I got an opportunity, and I took advantage of it, and I loved the people aspect of it. I loved the 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 mentoring, and I loved everything about it, but I, I was missing that one thing, and it was the hunt. And it's always, you know, it's it's once it's getting your gets in your blood, it's it's super hard to get out of the blood. So no, I I can completely understand that. Yeah. So so talk to me about what you so Yadabyte, and then did you rebrand or what was uh I guess walk me through that whole thing because I I you know I kind of was familiar with them from back in you know when they, that started up. But did you know going to Verge was that just a, co- a conscious decision to rebrand or what? Uh, walk me through that. Great, great, great Michigan and Midwest story, by the way. So um, Yodabyte had um, the, the founder and CTO of Yodabyte's guy named Greg Campbell, Michigan guy. One, I think one of the one of the smartest tech guys in Michigan, but we can all debate that all day long. It's like a religion. But anyway, he came up with a way to do software defined storage about 10 years ago that was um, really revolutionary. And he's got about three or four inventions in the core of the code that he does that is, um, enables a whole bunch of, ar- you know, that architecture by itself enables a whole bunch of advantages. So it was called Yodabyte. And, and for a while, they were like the darling of Michigan. They, um, you know, they were, they were a huge, they had big companies as customers. Gartner named them as one of the companies to watch. And they were doing really well, but, but they struggled as, as, as we do in Michigan. And this is the thing we've got to figure out here is, 
struggled with go-to-market in a big way, not just like, you know, yeah, how to sit here and, you know, you know, make some sales, but how to really like move the needle on, on the perception and the adoption more, more globally. We really struggle with that here. I'll, I'll get back to that in a second because there's some interesting things I've discovered recently. But, but Yodabyte went through a couple pivots and a couple changes and, you know, a little bit of a founder, founder sort of discourse, and, you know, you know uh, didn't get along and so forth. And, and, you know, every startup goes through that. But what's, what's really fascinating is if this technology had been in the hands of a startup in the East or West Coast, San Francisco, Boston, anywhere else, it, it, it just it would have been shelved. It never would have saw, seen the light of day. It never raised professional capital. It was always angel funded by by some very high net worth individuals here in Michigan. So they they kept going, kept going, kept building incredible technology. I ran into it a few years ago, and so we have this really mature piece of technology that that so there's not a lot of technology product risk, but it's like a startup company. So what we did was we said, all right, software defined storage has kind of been there, done that. It's sort of like back to the future kind of thing, right? So I invested a bunch of money in building up the rest of the hypervisors and the, the software-defined networking to the point where the entire data center has been virtualized with this software. And so we said, it's not any more software-defined storage. And a Yodabyte, by the way, is a trillion terabytes, right? So the notion was it's the only software that they could address a trillion terabytes, which uh, uh, theoretically is possible, but practically is Im- impossible and never needed. Ne- never needed. But but since the, you know, so we decided to rebrand it, Verge.io, and now it's kind of like ultra converged infrastructure, like high, Nutanix on steroids kind of thing. So I want to dive into that because this was uh, I you know I was I was with HP when converged infrastructure came out, right? And I was in Cisco when hyper converged infrastructure came out. And, uh, and now I'm hearing, you know, what you're doing and I, I, I kind of want to get your flavor, your sauce or what, you know, and you're talking, you know, then I, then I'm, you know, Nutanix introduced any cloud because, you know, cloud still wasn't ready. This was 2013, right? We weren't, uh, it was there, but it wasn't there, there like it is now, obviously, but what's, what's your spin? What's your flavor on, on this, uh, on this? Yeah. So here, here's the way I describe it. I think of it like a spectrum. You know, the, to me, the world isn't black, white, or it's like a spectrum. Um, think of it like on the far left, you have virtualization. So VMware, you know, actually virtualization has been around a long time. When I was at Michigan in computer science in the 80s, by the way, we had these Amdahl 470s, right? And they were, they, they, we had, they, and it basically used virtualization to slice up this mainframe so that I, as a student, could buy some CPU RAM and storage, by the way. And number, you know, and 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 run my computer classes. So virtualization's been around a long time, but VMware, you know, 98, 99, it's fascinating to read their history. They virtualized the machine, the server. Right. And all of a sudden I could move a server, I could snapshot a server, I could do all kinds of cool things you could never do because I turned this the physical server into a bucket of bits. Actually, kind of like kind of like digital music turned an album or a CD. My dad was blown away when I could email him a song. He's like, how the hell does that happen? It's like, I have a CD here. I have a record here. How can you email me something that's physical and then I can use it here? Well, VMware sort of did the same thing to the physical server. I could, if, if your email could handle it, I could email you a server. I could virtualize it, take the VMDK file and email it to you, mm-hmm. right? And you could use it. 
that's pretty amazing, right? Well, well, then the next thing was, all right, I'm going to virtualize the network and I'm going to virtualize the storage. So server, hypervisor, network storage all turned into a buck of bits. Okay, so great. We got, we got complete virtualization. Then now that everything's virtualized, I could do some orchestration software and now I can manipulate all three of those things because they're not physical devices anymore. I don't need hands and arms to manipulate them. I can use software to manipulate them. Change this, change that, do this, do that. And I don't need any software. It's sort of all virtualized, right? So convergence was there. And then, you know, Nutanix and these guys, I mean, I'm sorry, orchestration was the second stage. The third stage was convergence. Hey, now they're all three of these separate things, but they're all software. I can smoosh them together put a UI in front of them, make them look like one thing. So convergence came along, and that was the next layer of sort of simplification or attempt at it. But underneath that lipstick was a really complicated network, storage, and hypervisor software defined everything from, from maybe five different vendors. Maybe they built them, maybe they acquired them, but it was pretty complicated. Then everybody still said, no, I got to move workloads around. So Kubernetes and containers came out. Containers. That's the answer. Now I can virtualize the workload. I can pick up a workload and move it. Well, we took it one step further. We think we think the le- you know the next level of encapsulation is the data center, the entire data center, not just the container, which is the workload, but the IP address, the DNS, your storage layers, your security, your compliance, everything. Just like. Like, like you were, you were at online tech with me, right? And we had, we had a, we had a big data center with all kinds of, and inside of it was like all these private clouds that customers had. And, and think of taking that entire data center and virtualizing it into a bucket of bits. And each of those private clouds we had inside our data centers, we had seven of them, were in, were nested virtual data centers that themselves you could pick up and move around. And so our notion is, that what we've done with with our software since Yodabyte is we virtualize the whole rest of the data center. And so it's this encapsulated thing. The entire data center is one encapsulated thing. So we're like a container for data centers. That's the way we view that spectrum and where we are today. So so this it's you mentioned that. So I remember when converged infrastructure came out and software defined the kind of the stack. And the whole point was you know, the before when you wanted to spin something up, you had to call the network person and he had to he she had to provision ports in the data center, then you called the the server person, then you called the storage person, then the all the all they all had to talk together. And then when when software defined came out, they were basically like, Okay, now you don't need that. You can have one person managing this three tiered stack. And then when cloud came out, almost the same thing, right? Now you don't need you know, you had to introduce cloud people and now you don't have to introduce cloud people. And you brought up something when we were talking before the show is, you know, the simplicity hasn't come to the uh, the IT industry. And it's it's when we look at all these things that were meant to simplify, we've almost gone back, not gone back to where we started, but we've shifted where before the infrastructure person got the majority of the time. Now it's more or less people doing, I guess, more productive things or 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 doing things that progress the, the the business, right? Like when you're talking DevOps, when you're talking things that coincide, you know what I'm saying? So yeah, the, the complexity is almost shifted, but it's still there. Does that make sense where I'm going with that? I guess what's yeah. your take on that? Yeah. Yeah. So here, <laughs> um, so, so our company, 
and AWS and all these companies. We didn't make IT simpler. We just made it, you know, easier for you to pay for and buy. Like inside our data centers or inside AWS, there's still, you know, massive complexity and they, and that's why, look, AWS experts are really expensive. Like $200,000 a year. Okay. Well, why are they so expensive if it's simple to use? You know, that doesn't make any sense to me. And so, um, the, you know, people that move to the cloud, so to speak. Yeah, you're right. They don't need their storage and network hypervisor expert. They need AWS DevOps experts. They need, they need, here's, here's a whole new field, which blows my mind. FinOps. FinOps. Okay. As soon as you need FinOps, things have gotten out of control. If I need, if I need somebody to manage the financials of the operations, this has not gotten easier. This has gotten just more expensive because you can't afford a FinOps unless you're spending more money than you think you should spend. It's like, it's in, in the, it's definitional, right? And so, so all of these, all of these approaches are, have been changes in business model, not changes in the architecture. It's kind of like, kind of like, you know, Windows versus DOS. You, you, you and I are the same age, you know, right. I, I don't know about all the audience here, but, you know, before Windows, you really needed to know what tech you were doing if you were going to use DOS on a computer. Sure. I mean, you were a computer guy. And then Windows said, wait a minute. It commoditized and simplified the use of a computer. And nobody's done that with the cloud or virtualization. It's just gotten, well, now I need a fin. I mean, now I need a FinOps person. Now I need DevOps people. Now I need somebody to manage my contracts and my compliance and my auditors. It's it's gotten it's we'll never get there. The future workloads and the and 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 the mass digitization of everything is gonna require so much infrastructure that it has to be 10 times simpler and 10 times easier. And there's a great analogy, phones, you know, in 19, whatever, 20 something, the whole world couldn't have a phone because we would need another two worlds of operators, right? The paradigm didn't work. You couldn't have a human take a cable and plug here and plug here so that Bob and I could talk. It didn't work. And so all the mathematical models said phones will never, ever, ever be ubiquitous. And then the chip came out and changed everything. And now we all have a couple. And so I, I, I know this sounds really crazy, but right here in Michigan, I feel like with this software, we have a paradigm shifting opportunity. And that's why I came out of retirement, got off my sailboat, and I'm sitting here with you. <laughs> Do you think? Duo helped get, you know, because Michigan was always a pretty good bed for tech. Um, and then became like the shift where Randy, when, when did we talk to, was it a Ford engineer or whatever that's basically said, we're turning into a software company. We're not going to be an auto company in 30 years, or whatever. It was a bold, bold prediction. Uh, it was probably two or three years was ago. It, was it two or three? I felt like it was a longer time ago, but yeah, COVID, it's like you know, time warp. Yeah. Um, <laughs> exactly. Right. But like, you know, getting into, um, completely lost. Oh, but like the, then Duo comes along and it's the first billion dollar valuation and it gets bought by Cisco. And it's like, 
well, I'll be damned. Ann Arbor, you did it. You know, you got Detroit on the map. Um, why do you think not necessarily we get a bad rap, but at least like, you know, you, you hit it, the nail on the head If this was on the coast. You would have never got a blink. Um, why do you think that is? It just, is it culture? Is it, you know, they think we're still a rust belt. I know it's a little bit uh, beyond my, my, my pay grade, but I, I, I think that, um, there's a long game here and, um, I think Governor Snyder said it, you know, sort of Michigan 2.0 kind of thing a little bit, sort of. I bet Ford has five times more software engineers than Duo ever had employees. I wouldn't doubt and it. Duo, and Duo went for $2.5 billion and Ford was worth 30 So how come Ford is only worth, you know, seven, eight times more, and they, you know, they have two or three times the software engineers than duo has employees. Well, and then Uber's yeah, worth more than all around the world. Yeah. Yeah. And then Uber's worth more than the big three combined. It's like, and they don't own anything. Well, not that yeah. they didn't. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think that, um, um, some of that is, you know, sort of mega trend, mega, mega economics that I think, you know, the, the venture capital industry, I think is in for a little bit of a, um, a shakeup. I think there's $1.4 trillion of, net asset value on venture capitalist balance sheets in America right now. And there's no darn way all their startups together are worth a trillion for it. There's just no doubt. If you look at, if you look at stocks right now, your traditional old stocks, your Ford, your GM, your GE, and you can lump Rivian in there because they're, you know, they're, they're in that the, the auto space. Uh, they don't let them hear. I said that they'll probably get mad at me. Um, but those stocks, you know, Rolls Royce, you can get for a buck a share these days. You know, these are like iconic old American brands. Like, you know, the airlines are all in the 15s, right? You have, you know, Carnival Cruise Lines. It's in the toilet right now. But then you have, you know, your companies that quote unquote don't do anything. Um, You know, the hundreds and the thousands, you know, uh, it's, it's funny how it all shifted from like old, old school to these software or these like, you know, I don't want to say ghost companies, but you know what I mean? They're almost like, you know, we lease, yeah. you know, Airbnbs of the world that don't own anything technically. Yeah. Well, I think, I think that's, I, I think at the end of the day, it, you know, and, and I think this is actually the right way to go. It's, it's a capitalist way is, you know, the customer is always right. And wherever, wherever you get the most customers willing to spend money with, with you for, you know, whether it's a platform or a car or a ticket to a game or whatever, you know, the ultimate goal really, really is about trying to please as many people as possible and, and get your hand deep to their pocket as possible. And, and you know, so it, it, but it's really hard and sort of academic to figure out, you know, why is Airbnb worth more than Marriott? I, I mean, right. I, I mean, it's sort of it's sort of for the capitalist to, 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 to decide. But I, I think that, you know, just to get sort of philosophical, I, th- I think the opportunities grow don't shrink over time and that's 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 something that um i believe strong is it's a world of it's a world of resource it's a world of abundance not scarcity sure and um so you know there's going to be more of this so getting back to to verge and getting back to like complexity i had a uh i got to speak today in front of 50 sales reps from one of the the big three cloud service providers and we were talking on our point of view on multi-cloud Huh. And didn't know if it was a trap or not because it was you know one of the providers and uh, but we came in there 
being as dead honest as we could. And they said, listen, most companies, if you're with one of the big three cloud providers and you have, you know, T office 365 or Microsoft 365 and you have Salesforce, you're multi-cloud. And he's like, if you look at it from a cloud service provider perspective and multi-cloud, he goes, it gets complex. Cause you, again, it goes back to what you were saying before you need the AWS expert. You need the GCP expert. You need the Azure expert to find what person that knows all three they're costing you three, you know, it's three, 400,000 a year to get someone like that. So they brought the complexity back now. So like everyone's talking multi-cloud and a lot of us don't see it just because of that. What, you know, what's your, uh, you know, being in the business, what's your take on? I would find multi-cloud difficult, but, but comfortable. I mean, cause now you've got, um, but let me get back. Let me let me let me let me answer your your Salesforce office. You know, Salesforce is. I, I'm not sure, but I think it's I think it's hosted a lot in Microsoft Azure now. So, you know, you might be you know you know if you're if you're if you're Office 365 and and XYZ SaaS company, you might still be all Azure. You know? Sure. And so who knows? And and you know use who knows what use HubSpot, Tech Target, or all these tools everywhere. I do think that I think here I think. I think this is what they're all trying to do. Every cloud provider to me is like an operating system and they're trying to get you to design your architecture, your environment, your work processes, your application, everything in as many tentacles as them as, 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 as you can, as they can. So that it's really hard to leave. It's stickiness is everything. Right. And, and, and so at the same time, you know, if you want to go to multiple, if you really want to make use of a, of a big hyper, hyper, scale cloud provider, you sort of need to use their services that are proprietary. You know, if you really want to make use of Azure, you want to hit up, you want to interact with your Office 365 environment for your company, you know, because that's sort of where the benefit lies. And so that, that means you can't just pick up that application and move it to Amazon, right? And so they're all trying to get tentacles and, and keep retention um, because the one thing they all know, and you know, and I know, and Randy knows, nobody is ever going to use less of this stuff. Exactly. Ever. And so I'm willing to overspend to get you to build roots into my system today. Because six years from now, those roots are so thick, you can't go anywhere. So, and the cash flows are unbelievable. So, so talk to me I about that deployment. I'm just in my head. Let's say you're in an environment, you have. You know, you have your colo here where you have a couple stacks. You know, you, you basically built everything out to workloads. Some workloads are better local. Some workloads are better in the cloud. And you've used everything at exhaustion, right? You have stuff in GCP, you have stuff in micro, you know, you have it spread across all the platforms. You come into play, I guess, walk me through what, what that looks like from a, not just an architecture, but, but from, a, from a business, from, from, from a complete holistic lens of where you kind of over arc everything. Yeah. So if you have a standard sort of windows, Linux workload, you know, whatever, whatever you have, and, and you're not using custom services with Azure and AWS and so forth, you pick up your workload. You, you, you well, you, you get some commodity servers, you install this, our software on those commodity servers. We're an operating system and we're, we're, we're now your sort of own, you know, your own private cloud, you own your own cloud. And you drag and drop those workloads over to your now Verge.io cloud. It can run 
on servers in your building. It can run on bare metal servers at AWS. It doesn't care. It just needs to be able to be installed as an operating system. And our our, our customers are um, they're experiencing about thirty to uh, I'm sorry seventy to eighty percent cost reduction. And there's just so much agility and things that, that are impossible to do. You you cannot do the things we do, no matter how much you spend with these with these other um, um, massive cloud providers. You can't snapshot a 100 terabyte virtual data center with 100 VMs in you know 75 milliseconds. Click on it and start it and launch every single one of them anywhere, anyhow, anyway. And the only way you can do that is because of our of our uh, uh, couple of uh, we have a few architectural advantages way way do- deep down where we store data, move data, and dedupe it and encapsulate data. So, so at the end of the day, our customers are you know compliance is easier, costs are way lower, and a generalist IT and a guy like me, you don't need that network storage hypervisor. Um, expert, because we built in all the machine learning and everything you need that, that sort of replaces that human that is sitting there optimizing your storage or tweaking your hypervisor or managing patch schedules across 12 different vendors. All of that, all of that goes away. So our, our North Star, Bob, is to simplify it, period. Get it out of the public cloud, guys, where you have no idea what it's going to cost or it's going to be expensive. You can't snapshot things. You can't move things. It's just so complicated. It just, I mean, it makes me lose hair when I watch these guys and what they have to do to to, to move workloads around. It's just um, so that that's the life that's the life we deliver. So, are you an add-on then? To I mean, are you a re, not a replacement for public cloud, but are you more or less? Uh, but you are, but you're not. I'm trying to yeah. trying to. Okay, no, we are. We abs- we're an alternative. We're an alternative to VMware, to Nutanix, to public cloud. We are absolutely an alternative to those things. Yeah, because it's funny. We all get raised on uh, any cloud or we get raised on, you know, hybrid IT. Um, and then we kind of like our flavor, right? It's, you know, you're like, it's like, like Ford or Chevy. You're like, you're not picking wrong. You're just, you, you, right. you end up liking one brand versus another. But this almost like takes all that away. Where you, you like nothing, like not, not not saying you don't like nothing, but you know what I mean. It's like you let me do, let me run my business, and don't let me, don't let that get in the way. Yeah, we. I, I know this sounds a little extreme, but we think of ourselves like the Tesla. You know how many mechanics you need to to, to touch your car over a seven year period? Um, more than one. I don't need any to touch my yeah. Tesla. I mean, there's there's nothing there. I put fluid in it and that's it i don't even go to the darn gas station i just plug it in when i get home and and there's like i don't know 42 parts versus 1200 it takes 80 hours to make an electric car like tesla versus 700 i mean it's just it's just it's a it's a paradigm shift and guess what i get up software upgrades every 60 90 days i bring a whole bunch of cool new features to it and guess what i don't have to do anything it just happens my wife beamer they call her up, say, "Hey, you got to bring your car in. We got to do a software upgrade." She sits in the waiting room for three hours. Like, what's mm-hmm. up with that? I don't have any of that. Did you ever think in your lifetime there'd be an auto company that made that as much of a stink as Tesla has? Like, yeah, I thought it was literally. I thought it would be impossible to like have a new car startup no. yeah. cause this get get in the market and actually have a name. Yes. Well, Bob, I know this is going to sound really crazy, but I 
you know, people tell me this, Jan, you're going against VM, you're going against AWS, Google, Azure, um, all these multi-billion dollar global companies that have way more capital than you do. And I feel not, not that, not that I deserve this association, but I feel a little like Elon Musk and Tesla 15 years ago. He's a startup, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> and he's, he, he's got drawings for an electric car and he's got maybe one car made and he sold a couple hundred of them. I remember seeing him in Hawaii in, in 06, you know, and, and, um, and everybody thought he was crazy because he was about to take on all these behemoths that own the world. And now he's worth more than the top, you know, three combined. Yeah. I mean, yeah. and, and basically he made it simpler. You're not going to go to space on me, are you? Uh, I may already be there. I don't know. It's <laughs> <laughs> There's whiteboards in space. No, I'm kidding. Um, so what, I mean, what's, uh, I don't want to say what defines success because that's such an arbitrary, stupid question. But I mean, you know, do you want to be looked upon in, in, in two, three years is, is, you know, one of the flavors, like who are we picking, right? When we're going to market, you know, it's right now it's, it's really, it's really four. If you look at it, I don't want to call Oracle, you know what I mean? IBM, that's yeah. a little bit, yeah. it's more on the enterprise side, but right now there's, you know, two flavors with a third, maybe with, you know, Google in there, but you know. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I don't, I don't, I, I think. I think we are designed for something different. So, you know, they, they're, they're, they're very, very successful companies doing a lot of great things. There's a ton of workloads that are going there and going to go there. And, and, and so, but, but there are, there's a whole batch of computing that's coming down the pike that it's going to be very difficult for those both business models and technical architectures. And those are two different problems that, that, that those hyperscalers have actually. That, that are going to re require a whole new thing. And the advantage we have is we have um, technology that is an architectural advantage over what they have. And it's mature. I'm not a startup. With the, the, with, the, with the technology and the product, we're not a startup. But the company's early stage. And second of all, my business model is not designed around trying to entrap you and keep you and make you so that you have some – I've. You have so many tentacles built into me, you can't leave. To me, their business models are like ransomware. Once you move your application to me, and AWS knows this better than we all do. Once you move your application to me and build your tentacles to me, you can't leave without paying me a ton of money. Or somebody a ton of money because you got to rewrite everything. That's the definition of ransomware. The only difference is I didn't have to pay to encrypt your money and I made money doing it. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. Right. And so that's ransomware. And, and I feel like, you know, you got to like democratize and put, put the owner of the data back in control of their asset. And if you didn't keep it complicated, you could do that. So my vision, ultimate dream here is to deliver that value to the world. And it's funny, you look at, the stacks now, even on the data and analytics side, you have everything from, you know, Kafka data in motion. You got your yeah. containers, you have your privileged data management. Now you're, you have your dedupe now for data. Um, and then you have your, your, your dashboarding and your BI at the end of it. And, you know, then you have analytics tools all in between it. And it's like, you've just created again, another complex thing, which didn't really need to be that complex. We're talking about a piece of data. And how does it translate to the business? And now we have, we have to architect this massive, um, yep. I don't want to call it bloated, but it's, you know, because that's what I do for a living. But it's, it is it, bloated. Yeah. It is bloated. Yeah. It is bloated. 
And and we used to say this at Online Tech in Otava, and I apologize to all the service providers out there, but the reality is the complexity, it's almost a self-fulfilling prophecy. If you're a service provider, complexity is a good thing because your job is to simplify it to the enterprise. So that's your value add. There's not a lot of innovation there. There's just sort of, you know, orchestration. I have the experts. I've got the capital to buy and, and build the data centers and put all the equipment in place. And so, and so, so you don't really benefit from, from, from making things simpler for the very end user because the, to me, the only thing that is justifiably complex in a business or in any entity is figuring out exactly what your customer wants. Mm -hmm. That's complex. And everything else should be simple. Sure. Accounting. Accounting today is complicated, but we have gap. So at the end of the day, there's a lot of software that can do, almost every small business can do their own accounting. It's almost funny. no small business can do their own cloud computing. No. Exactly. Exactly. Funny, yesterday I um, went to the Lions game with family and I had my 22-year-old cousin who just got his first sales job. And he wants to, he gets right in my face, wants to pick my brain. And I go, you got to sell two things, man, simplicity or price. And you don't want to sell on price because then you're just commodity. Yes. Um, make it easier to do business with you or make it the product that you have simpler. And that, you know, it, everything you're saying, it's funny. It's how, how much it rings true. Um, yeah. Get rid of it, too bad we had to go see the Lions. But other than that, you know. So what keeps you, what keeps you, I'm going to, I'll kind of end on this, but what keeps you in Detroit? Is this, you know, is this home? Do you think uh, you'd get more eyeballs if you're out in Frisco or what's, uh, I guess it doesn't matter these days, eh? Good question. Um, I would get, uh, honestly, we, there's some things that would be a lot easier out in San Francisco. Um, cost of living would not be one of them. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we do hire people. Look, my, my senior vice president of sales, Chris Lehman's out of San Francisco because, you know, Silicon Valley and Boston, Miami area, they, they have they have the best of the best. That's one thing Michigan really struggles with is go-to-market expertise. We've got to solve that. We do not have that here very much. With all due respect to the really good sales and marketing people here in the area, we don't have enough of you. Um, but what keeps me here is um, – actually, I'm, I'm, I'm in Ann Arbor, uh, although I'm a fan of Detroit. I love the Great Lakes. I mean, I spend, I spend my nasty winter months down in Sarasota at our house, but – um, you know, it's it's not that expensive. We've got a lot of fresh water. The weather's unbelievable in the summers, at least in Ann Arbor. The schools are fantastic. I mean, they're really good. And and so uh, it's a great place to be. And um, so uh, I'm not going anywhere. Well, we're, like, we're glad to have you here. And uh, look forward to, uh, we got to get together soon. It's long overdue. I know we just caught up not too long ago, but uh, we got to get a little face-to-face -face now that we can again. Yes. Love to do it, Bob. Let me know when. So we can find you on LinkedIn, uh, Jan Ness with a Y and uh, verge.io if you want to read more about them. But uh, sincerely appreciate the insight and uh, love telling the story and, and, and uh, you know, look forward to seeing what's next with you guys. Thanks so much, Bob. Let me know if I ever can help you. Absolutely. Thanks, Andy. So thanks. We're going to wrap things up for episode 445. On behalf of Bob and Randy, do us all a favor. Drink up your drinks. Get your phone numbers. You don't got to go home. You just got to get the hell out of here. See you next week. Drive careful. Beat it. Bye, everybody.